Real News. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is October 9th, 2019. Uh, it is a pretty crazy day, I might have to say. Um, it's eventful, yet... Um, I want to say that aside from being eventful, it has a lot of force behind it. I have to be very careful as to how I word things today, only because it's such a sensitive matter. Um, the things that we're going to be talking about are extremely sensitive, extremely important, and... Um, it has to do both with national and international relations and uh, the Confucius that comes through this uh, is pretty intense. Um, so we're going to be discussing a lot today, uh, a lot about the Ottoman Empire and what is coming and what is going. Uh, so I thought that today we can start it off with just... Uh, Taking a note on what the BBC has to say about Turkey and Syria tensions. The Turkish administration there has called on civilians to defend their territory. Uh, people are being urged uh, by the uh, Kurdish forces to head to the border to resist the planned offensive, which Turkey has said is imminent. Well, this all follows President Trump's controversial decision to withdraw U.S. troops from the area. To give you more uh, of a picture here, the area is controlled by the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces, who of course played a leading role in the fight against the self-styled Islamic State, but they're regarded as terrorists by Turkey. Turkey says it wants to set up a 30-kilometer safe zone along the border to resettle up to 2 million Syrian refugees who are currently living in Turkey. While our correspondent Orla Girin is at the Turkey-Syria border, she gave us this update. Well, there is a real sense here now that the offensive will begin very soon. We have had statements from senior Turkish officials, both from the president's press spokesman uh, and also from uh, one of his aides, saying officially that they are ready, uh, that it could come any time. Turkey describes this as an operation to create a safe zone, as you mentioned. It says the aim is to provide a buffer to ensure uh, Turkish security and also to allow for the return of about two million Syrian refugees. Now, Turkish officials are describing this as uh, eliminating what they call a terrorist threat, uh, dismantling uh, a long-standing threat to Turkey's security. And they're claiming that this operation will combat Islamic State. Well, the response from the other side of the border behind me, from the Syrian uh, forces, the Syrian Kurdish forces, who are the target of this attack, is that in fact it will do the opposite. Uh, the Syrian Kurdish fighters have been crucial in battling IS in recent years. Uh, they say they have lost 11,000 fighters in doing so. They have managed to push IS from a very large swathe of territory. Of course, they did that with the support of terrorists by Turkey. It's really important for us to understand uh, that um, the Kurds have been fighting that area with the prospect that they would be able to gain the land that they have always been promised. And uh, that is what is the most important thing right now. And Kurdish-led forces have helped only because they've been promised that they will, in the end, 
come to that point where they will be able to have back the land that they believe is theirs. So this is where it becomes key. People don't seem to fathom as to why we would pull out, and it's not a lot, it's 50 people. Why are we pulling out at a time that is so crucial, at a time where we have taken out ISIS, at a time where we are securing the area, at a time where we're in negotiations with Iran and discussions of diffusing their situation, and suddenly this happens. Suddenly we have a pullout and people are like, what are you doing? You have Turkey there. Are you admitting that Turkey is aggressive? Are you admitting that Turkey is part of the problem? Because we know that Turkey has been funding uh, terrorist groups. We know that Turkey has been a, a key player in regards to funding terrorist groups. So we also know that Turkey has been a key player in helping Iran during their time of need because of the sanctions that we've imposed. So what you need to ask yourself is, so suddenly the whole world decides that Turkey is no longer what someone we can trust. And here we have people like Lindsey Graham coming out, making statements, statements as it didn't work for us to be out of World War One, World War Two, and coming in late. We should be in the beginning. Are you claiming that this is World War Three? Because this is something that I've been talking about for a very long time. Something that I've been saying that World War Three will be coming, but you know, the person that's going to take it home, and I hope they will be recognized for the sacrifice and the work that they do, is in fact Russia. Because Russia is defending their territory of the TARDIS base that they have, the naval base uh, in Syria. They have a mutual defense agreement with Syria in order to have the base, something like what we signed with Greece just this weekend, right? So we would not expect Russia to bail out and allow them to just take over Syria. So one has to ask themselves, if we know that Russia is going to be defending Syria, but we also know that Turkey is trying to aggressively gain territory that is not theirs. This is a the whole purpose. Remember, the Ottoman Empire's purpose is to confiscate land. It's the same thing that they're doing in Cyprus right now by saying that that water is theirs and it's not Cypriot. It's theirs and that people need to just deal with it because it's theirs. Right. This is what we keep hearing from Turkey. So what people need to understand is that this is normal practice for the Ottomans, this aggressive behavior, this claim for land. And the Battle of Idlib was one of the most important. Now, just so you know, uh, Russia has uh, issued uh, a press release discussing these concerns discussing the concern that they have in regards to northeastern Syria at a Security Council meeting. Vladimir Putin hours ago made a statement. We have already seen that Russia will not hold fast. They have already bombed a Turkish in in you know uh, a Turkish envoy that was on its they were on their way 
to infiltrate deeper into Syria. And we saw just a couple weeks ago that Russia fired at them. So they are not one to allow them to invade. The question here is, how long will it take for the rest of the world to stop screaming at Trump and realizing that it's other people's business, other people's defense agreements that are in place that have to come into action? Because we don't have an agreement with Iran, so we don't need to help them. We don't have an agreement with Syria, so we don't need to intervene. We don't have an agreement with Turkey, so we don't intervene. What we do have an agreement with is Cyprus, Israel, Greece. So as Turkey begins to beef themselves up and start finding resistance from Russia and Syria, we will be answering if there's an expansion toward the West. That means in the Eastern Mediterranean. This is about to get really, really crazy But trust me, and I think a lot, you know, I've said this before. This is the only way that we can diffuse the Iran situation. The only way that we can have transparency and harmony within our, you know, within the Middle East is to break those regimes free from the reins that have been placed on them by previous administrations. That is the only thing we can do right now. That is the only thing we should be doing right now. And that is our focus. So anything else being tweeted or stated by Lindsey Graham or any other person, we shouldn't care. We shouldn't be paying attention because they're just part of it. They all make money. Money, money, money is what they are doing. Money is all they care for. You know, it's it's incredible how Lindsey Graham says, I pray for the Kurdish people. I pray for this. Uh, you know, Congress will lead the effort to make Erdogan pay a heavy price. That's exactly what we want. That is exactly what we want. We want to hold the true monsters accountable. Now, something that people don't know and we should be paying attention to is aside from the fact that everyone is worried that this will be a Kurdish massacre, a genocide of the Kurdish people. We suddenly have Kim Kardashian in her ancestral homeland of Armenia. Now she's supposedly there to showcase her undergarments um, in Turkey but she actually went and and visited the Armenian Genocide Memorial in Yerevan. Remember, Armenian Genocide, and we are on the heels of what? A Kurdish Genocide. A Kurdish Genocide that will have to be owned by the EU, have to be owned by those that will not help Russia and Assad. We all know exactly what the Turkish people have been planning. We all know how they've been coaxing Iran to team Qatar and Turkey have been investing an insane amount of money throughout many of these block nations that they have. And later on in the show, I will showcase to you how Ilhan Omar has been visiting every one of those countries they've been making investments in. This is not a coincidence. You can't say that Kim Kardashian coincidentally is there that King Kardashian, coincidentally, today of all days, you know, um, well, it was yesterday when it kicked off, visited the Armenian Genocide Memorial. This is, nothing is a coincidence. And if people keep saying, oh, that's just a coincidence, you never see the truth. You never see what's going on. Now, on that, 
I wanted you to take a listen to what Sky News says the Syrian conflict from a Russian perspective is. It's a courtesy of Russia's military. After bombing much of this country into submission, swinging the war in President Bashar al-Assad's favor, they're now the great providers, keen to show their humanitarian side. Russia is with you, is what's written on these plastic bags. This is Khan Sheikhoun in southern Idlib, recently recaptured by Assad's forces. It was here two years ago that the regime dropped what was thought to be sarin gas on its own people. An attack so appalling, the U.S. launched retaliatory airstrikes, its first direct military intervention in this eight-year war. But don't mention the crimes of Syria's president here. In the nearby town of Suran, we're met by all-singing Assad-supporting crowds. Soundtrack to a hollow victory. So this man is saying, we've come here because it's controlled by the regime. It's safe here. There's no slaughter and no murder. There is the other side of the front line, the remaining part of Idlib province, which still eludes President Assad, now largely in the hands of the jihadist group Hayat Tahrir al-Sham. We're on a Russian military press tour, just a few miles here from the front line. They show us tunnels recently vacated by opposition fighters, complete with a workshop for producing drones, even a prison and solitary confinement cell. Along the way through the windows of our armored vehicle, mile after mile of deserted towns and villages flattened as the regime advanced into Idlib. For now, a month-old ceasefire is holding. It's really important for you guys to understand that now they're talking about this from the Russian aspect. They're talking to the Syrians who are telling them, specifically telling them, look, bottom line is we're safe here with Assad. We're not scared of Assad. Assad has not caused us any harm. And yet, for some reason, you trust that the Turkish people will help when they are not. I mean, it is, is it up to us to decide who's going to be the president of, of, of Syria? It is not. It is not up to us. It is up to the Syrian people. They make that decision, not you or I. They make the decision. So what we need to understand is what is really going on here. And this is the power struggle. Since the U.S. is no longer leading the effort in annihilating these nations. Look who's left. It's Libya and Syria, right? Look what countries are being involved in Libya and Syria. I've already told you. The UN has appointed Turkey to be the military for Libya. Turkey is now taking control of northern Syria. This is what you need to focus on, the actual facts. Because while they throw dust in our eyes so we're not paying attention, their plan is unfolding. And that's what we need to uh, understand we will not allow and President Trump will not allow. He is relying on 
uh, President Vladimir Putin to hold up his end of the agreement that he has with Assad, not the president of the United States, but that the president of Russia has with President Assad, that he will call into play what is happening. That's basically it. That is all you need to know. That we need to allow people to do their thing. It's none of our business. We're not the referee of the world and we shouldn't be paying things. And you know, it's kind of funny that it comes out on the heels of the United Nations crying that they don't have money. Well, if everybody paid their share, then maybe you would still be around. But on the other hand, the UN is always involved in all wars, in everything that seems to be occurring, right? Always. And, you know, when I hear people saying isolationism isn't the way, you know, when they're like, oh, it didn't work in World War One, blah, 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 World War Two, it's like, come on, man. We all know we had our fingers in that pie. You think World War Two or World War One happened without us orchestrating it? I mean, at the end of the day, huge nations fell within days. And the only difference they had when they forfeited to uh, Hitler and, you know, waved the white flag was the fact that they were on the receiving end of monies. And money from who? From the United States of America. We were lending them money. We were giving them money. So if anyone tells you that we jumped in just to help our allies because we were being nice, it's complete rubbish. The cabal has been orchestrating wars because it makes the money for decades, if not centuries. That is the way that they had control over the people by terrorizing them. I mean, fear is a very strong motivator, isn't it? Soup. It's a super strong motivator. You have to admit that. Very strong motivator. And that is what they've been using. But it doesn't work now. Not now that we have the President of the United States as Donald J. Trump, who no longer wants to spend your dollars to make himself dollars. I mean, nobody asks themselves a civil servant with portfolios of over $150 million that all these people are interconnected via shell businesses and nefarious actors. You know, I was listening to the Scott Adams show this morning and he was talking about a company named Aeroplane, right? Or Aeroflot, Aero, Aero. Let's just put it on short. And what's funny is, is that I found that same company working back on the financials of Jeffrey Epstein leading to Adam Schiff, whereas Scott Adams found that same company working back from the Ukraine, leading back to Adam Schiff. And it's not just Adam Schiff. It's Nancy Pelosi. It's the Clintons. It's Barack Hussein Obama and so on and so on and so on. So as, as people tell us what we are supposed to be understanding or what is the truth, we should always remember we are not the most powerful nation on the planet because we've always been good because we've had so many clowns running the show in the background. And as they 
implemented this globalist, elite, cabal, nefarious, satanic plan. Almost like an Ottoman Empire, but evil. So the Ottomans just have an insatiable appetite to rule people. And they believe that they're doing good in their mind. The globalist clique that Pelosi, Schiff, even the Clintons are simply higher in the hierarchy, but are still under someone else's command are the ones really running the show. And they have always wanted to run the show, not because they think they're doing good, but because it benefits them to have us give them our time and our, I would say our time and our effort and our sweat and our tears and our labor to serve them. So every man, woman, and child is literally at their disposal. That was the main idea. This is why they merged economies, because in the end, it should have been one planetarch, a leader of the world, and then some form of pretend government that you vote for. Um, yesterday, I was sent a video, and I'm going to play that later on in the show, of a woman who confronted um, Amash. And when she spoke to him, she was actually very clear. She said, I voted for you. People voted for you because you are supposed to be representing the constituents and doing what we want. And he said, no, it's the Constitution. She goes, no, you're elected to be our voice. I'll bite one in the same that our voice should align with the Constitution. But I do not invest in you my vote to do as you please. I invest in you my vote to do as I please. That is the whole purpose of having a public servant. That is the whole purpose as to why we have elections. So later on in the show, because I wasn't able to uh, put together a good introduction for you on the show, aside from analyzing the Syrian conflict from a lot of perspectives, from the EU, from the Russian, from the U.S., I will demonstrate to you that Ilhan Omar for the past two weeks has been Africa hopping in a very specific place, very specific place says, and ended her trip today with the actual birthplace or admitted birthplace of Barack Hussein Obama. See, everybody keeps thinking that he was born in Kenya. Everybody keeps thinking that maybe he was born in Hawaii. Well, he actually admitted once that he was born in none other than Morocco. Yep, Morocco, where the king of Morocco is said to be a descendant of Muhammad. So he is not only, um, what would you call, a religious figure, he's also political. Yes, and there is a Huffington Post article. I've written up my article. It's being published today. I was going to publish it yesterday after her uh, speech in Djibouti, but I wanted to wait to see what she was going to be doing in Morocco because I have very good sources down in Morocco. And the people that she met with and the uh, speeches that she held, I want to tell you guys, there is a media blackout. Like people aren't supposed to be talking about this. She's not even talking about this. And the fact that she filed her divorce papers from Burkina Faso, where she signed it, 
uh, is very important because I think that there's like a little gap there where I noticed that on the document filed, even though it was done through her attorney and it's civil and it's a divorce decree, if there is no actual apostille, uh, to notarize that signature to be recognized as her legitimate signature where she is, um, it could actually be a great defense for her to say that she didn't lie because she lied on the documentation too. So, uh, we're going to get into that more as the uh, show progresses. I'll see you all in just a bit right after this short break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So just so you guys know, so you understand my slight hesitance in the way I am speaking today, aside from the fact that I have to be very careful in how I roll things out to you. Uh, I also want you to know two other things that are affecting me, not so much just the content that I'm going to try to put forward, but me is one, I'm waiting for a massive snowstorm and it's supposed to start at about 2 p.m. We're expecting 10 to 18 inches of snow and the temperature is um, dropping rather than rising ever since this morning. Um, and on top of that, I think that the headset that I wear to hear myself and hear what you hear is not working properly because I hear static. Like static as if I'm muffled and I have pillows over my mouth. So forgive me if it comes off a little bit mm, louder or more hesitant or quieter. It's because I can't hear myself. So this is kind of just me uh, just going with it. So here's where we're going to start. It's like rehash the first half hour that was a little bit awkward for me in regards to technical difficulties and um, reports that I've been receiving uh, ever since 10.45 a.m. my time. So that's like 11.45 Eastern time, which means um, I can't really talk about it only because that would be very premature. Uh, what is going on right now in the Middle East is something I talked about a long time ago. I told you that that is where it's going to set off and it's not rocket science. I mean, you know, when people ask me, I tell them, yep, I'm a time traveler. Or, yep, I'm a psychic or hey, I have a crystal ball. It's not. It's mathematically calculated. History has shown us where things are going to go and how they're going to go because um, we have everything we need. And if we keep telling ourselves, oh, that's just a coincidence, then, you know, we're victims to our own stupidity. Now, we're seeing a lot of uprises around the world right now um, that are being advertised in regards to knifings, bombings, knife attacks that are happening. There was just a knifing, uh, a recent violent attack against Jews in Germany uh, during Yom Kippur, of course. And it was at a synagogue, um, a Jewish vendor and his son were stabbed by an Egyptian national. This guy is, um, total, you know, Muslim brotherhood. Uh, actually, no, that happened in the Netherlands. Sorry. In March of this year. Now today outside a synagogue, two people were killed and the people had guns and fired multiple shots. Um, and then they launched a grenade into a Jewish cemetery. Now, here's the thing. 
I see a lot of people, uh, online. I'm, I mean, again, some people may find it weird. I'm, I'm highly transparent when it comes to how I operate. I have little windows all the time on my computer open. Like it looks like a command center that you would see in a movie that security guards would have or some high tech hacking nerd. But for me, it's on a 27 inch screen where I have IRC rooms running in the background that I monitor, where I've got, you know, access through the Tor network to other, you know, forums and networks. And I monitor news, not mainstream media, but little outlets of little cities that flank larger cities. That's where you get your news because see, they don't have to, I mean, they have to report to someone, but they're so desperate for something to be news that they'll just put it out and then pull it off. Right. It's kind of like in the city where I live in, they're so desperate for news that they will make news out of literally nothing. Okay. Literally nothing. There's so much not news that they play high, high school volleyball games on TV. So I'm just saying, so this is where I find my news. This is where I see it. What I have started to see is a trend, a trend of people that have decided to bundle up people into one group. For example, you wouldn't like to be called a member of the KKK just because you're white. You're just like, I dismiss that. That's ridiculous. Just like we wouldn't want all the Jews to be put in the same basket that Epstein, that Schiff, that Lindsey Graham, that Schumer, you know, all those fake Jews fall into the nefarious ones, the ones that people do turn their anger to the Soros, you know, the ones that are not looking after the Israelites, but looking after themselves, you know, the tax collector in the stories. I see a lot of that division. I see that division among the Muslim communities too, and the Somali communities. I mean, I monitor everything and it feels as if every single group of people that can be identified as a group, either they share the same, uh, skin color, same educational background, same city, same state, same country of derivation, being mixed, being whatever. There is this dichotomy coming in between and just segregation is going nuts. And that means that the globalists have won in that effort to create teams. Now, using that incentive of creating a team, you know, we don't want that. We want unity, but we can't not want a team right now because there's so many, we need to group them together. Kind of like, remember when I told you that Pompeo, when he went to Greece, he had to wait for the elections to go and then a cabinet to be formed and the government to be formed, etc. Well, that's because the government that was elected, though conservative, it has to merge with other smaller parties that have representation like this party had seven seats. This one had three seats. So they make two larger groups and then they all take into account the voices that lean toward what they like. Um, so that way no constituent is left behind. And I think that's something that we're seeing move here in the United States of America, that all of these factions that the Obama, the Clinton and the Bush administrations have created. And before that, we can start from Truman. They started to create factions of citizens, of social casties, I would say. We're starting to see emerge. We're starting to see 
even the crazy, insane conservatives like the right, right extremists merging with the middle right, merging with centrists and now even taking on the left leaning centrists under their wing. We're seeing this grouping, which is necessary right now because we are ramping up to war. Now, this is a spiritual war. And I urge everyone, no matter who you think your God is, who you believe is God, that you pray. Because, again, I'll say it, and I've, I've said this many, many times. The only reason we have a praying president right now in the White House is because on the eve of the election, I want you all to remember, on the eve of the election, there was a nationwide prayer that happened at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. There were millions of people logging on through Facebook, logging on through Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, where at, for one moment, for those three minutes where Graham led the prayer, hands across the globe, not just the nation, prayed that the election outcome be what is best for the people and look what we got. And if anyone says, well, no, we just won because he's good, I beg to differ because what people need to have is faith, faith that they're not an accident, faith that there is a grander design. And that faith, for those of you that are in the medical field or have or interact with people, uh, you know, from psychology to physiology, I can tell you that you've seen this grand design. I've seen it under a microscope. I've seen it when like an idiot Sitting in on my, on my first surgery as an intern, I sat there and stuck my finger in some guy's abdominal cavity and I just felt the pulse of life. And I think the attending was like, damn, this chick is weird. I was totally okay with it because I was in awe that I literally had my finger in some person's cavity and I could feel life. Like all of these things had come together to work so brilliantly together. And then when you think about it on a microcosmic scale, and now here's where you blow your mind, right? You have to think that every single part of you that you consider to be solid is literally a conglomerate of a bunch of cells that are proximal to each other. That means that they're close to each other, but not touching. This is reality. So you draw them together. They talk to each other to maintain your finger shape your eye shape, your hair shape, you know? So when Christ made water into wine, I mean, your body without you knowing is making sure all these cells stay in the same place so that they can all function as one and seem solid when they're not. They're not. If you were able to look at yourself under a microscope, you'd see that there's like these little, little, little microscopic things that are so many Armstrongs, you know, small. That's how small they are on an Armstrong scale, right? And they're literally holding each other by something you can't even see with the naked eye. They're they're not even holding each other. The only thing is the heart has gap junctions where they're kind of connected, like directly. But that's like for the nerves, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> what you need to understand is, is that there is a grand design and you are witnessing exactly how it's supposed to play out. And not just on a scale of life, but on a scale of society, because just like the earth is like this biodome that can rectify its wrongs. So too many volcanoes, 
that eat up my ozone, that's fine. I'll just shift my tectonic plates to make sure I get a period of, of not a lot of volcanic activity so I can heal. That is exactly why the ozone layer is now healed and we don't have another, you know, that faux cop apocalypse, right? We, we've already been dead like how many times from all these fake ecological situations, you know, from smog to holes in the ozone to gores melting things. I mean, we've been dead over and over and over again. It's because the earth can take care of it. Just like you can take care of you. But as unity, as faith, and in, in, in all faiths, they call each other neighbors, brothers, sisters. We're all one unit. And right now, if you were able to see this unit from a distance, um, you know, there's a big part of it that's diseased and that's because it's not working. And we are only as strong as our weakest link. So the more we mass together in effort to free thought, free speech that comes with free thought and the right to maintain our person. Okay. Because you are not free if you are not allowed to think. And as they are pushing us to think in one way, this is minimizing our freedom to think. Freedom of thought means freedom of speech and freedom of person. Of course, your identity is defined by the way you think, you know, People say, well, nobody can be in my mind. Yes, they are. They bombard you with fake news. They bombard you with, you know, skewed facts. And they just constantly drown you in all these ideologies and statements that at some point your brain is overloaded. It's like a computer. How many browser tabs can you open? And trust me, I've tested that. <laughs> How many browser tabs can you open before your computer's like, yep, I'm not working anymore. I'm done. I'm having a siesta. Uh, you need to reboot me or shut me down because I'm not doing this anymore. So at this point right now with what is happening in Syria, we're seeing all this other stuff come out. Suddenly people are coming out. Oh, guess what? We're waiting for the IG Pfizer report on the 18th. Yeah, my listeners already knew that. I already told them it's coming either the debut and I doubt that it's going to be on a Friday. Let's put it this way. IG FISA report is never going to be dropped on a Friday. Okay. Never. President Trump will never do that to us. I mean, intentionally, right? He would never do that to us because he wants us to savor it. He wants the news cycle to be driven. Drop it on a Friday. It gets buried over the weekend, especially when you have New York and LA under siege with terrorists. So today, this morning, I uh, retweeted a video that was posted on how Antifa has been training with, um, Kurdish militia. And it's, uh, let me, let me, let me take a listen to this. So Antifa is training with the Kurdish militia. Today, the Here, revolution in Rojava is under attack. Like the Paris Commune, and at so many other points in history, the revolutionary forces face the leviathan of capitalist hegemony, which has come to devour the new world and enslave us all once again. This is our Stalingrad. The revolution must be defended. Therefore, we announce the creation of the International Revolutionary People's Guerrilla Forces to defend the revolution in Rojava. 
International Revolutionary People's Guerrilla Forces is a militant, armed, self-organized and horizontal collective working to defend social revolutions around the world to directly confront capital and the state and advance the cause of anarchism. We are committed anti-fascist, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist and against all forms of patriarchy and hierarchy. We announce our membership in the International Freedom Battalion and declare our support and alliance with the YPG, the YPG, the PKK, the Anti-Fascist International Tabor and the International Freedom Battalion's member organizations. We declare our open struggle with all imperialist, fascist and counter-revolutionary forces. Victory to the revolution in Rojava! Victory to the barricades, the social insurrection, and the commune. Militant, horizontal, self-organized collectives and communities for the revolution and anarchism. Okay, so I uh, retweeted that video um, that Millie Weaver retweeted that Jack Posobiec tweeted. Now, they have the anti-fascist, you know, flag, the Antifa flag, right? And they claim to be um, aligning with the militants. I'm going to tell you what I can hear, okay? So this is probably what the Department of Homeland Security is doing today. Possibly going to call on linguists like me to analyze. So I thought I could do it on air with my listeners so you can understand the type of stuff that I do. Now, one thing I can tell you is that the person that is speaking is not Kurdish. Okay. Uh, they're probably either uh, Syrian that has been radicalized. Uh, one of those people that came out from the United States, uh, their accent and their linguistic flow indicates West Coast upbringing definitely um, has had military uh, training, possibly maybe ROTC, not uh, U.S. Armed Forces for sure. Uh, only because the tone that I heard in speaking when um, referring to strategies, if you want to call it a strategy, uh, were not decisive. They were very fluffy. So this person I would assume is somewhere from like uh, Northern California, like Mount Shasta area, um, or Southern Oregon, like Klamath Falls. That is where their speech pattern falls. Um, probably par- uh, their parents are migrants. Um, and they sound like they would be mixed. So maybe the father is the migrant and the mother is a foreigner um, because there was no heavy conviction behind the statements. It seemed more of a merging cause kind of thing. So this person is probably more uh, let the world go around. Uh, if I study the video a little bit more rather than what I just did on air, I would be able to give you more uh, in respects to the mannerisms of um, the speech pattern and how they were reading. Because remember, this person was reading off of a paper. Uh, they were posing. They covered themselves. All of them seemed to be tan skin, some less tan than others, uh, indicating, uh, you know, their 
dissent. Is that the right word that I want to use? Um, also, most of these groups, most of these Americans that flee the United States to enter these nations never, ever go directly by airplane. Like, some of them are stupid enough to take a flight to Turkey. Like, where are you going? Like, you're going to be flagged. Others will just be like, I'm backpacking through Europe or something. And they go to France or the UK, and then they rent a car or they drive or they take a bus, things that you can't regulate, and then maybe take a ferry boat from Italy to Greece and then a ferry boat from Athens, Greece to Tenedos, and then from Tenedos, you know, maybe take a ferry boat to to Turkey, or, you know, maybe they take a boat to Crete, and then from Crete take a boat across to Syria, or, um, well, Israel, and then enter, but Israel wouldn't let them in. But anyway, that is how they would go. That is how they would um, enter further. Now, the structures that they're showing in the video uh, seem to show... Uh, uh, Turkish land, uh, not Syrian, Turkish, and more so from the structure of the building being short, meaning that they are on the west coast of Turkey, southwest Turkey, and from the plants and the way it's been set up, because this is how you see the more rural areas where they're shooting off their guns. So that's what I would say. This is just from the first pass. I want you guys to understand that these videos are not a coincidence, these videos of um, encouraging people that are part of Antifa to join the fight is a, uh, I want to say, battle drum call to them to uprise. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. So I'm kind of getting used to the fact that I can't hear myself. And one would say you got to get used to it, Chica, because you are losing your hearing anyway. Remember, my um, whole, um, you know, my eardrums had blown, if you remember last month, I told you guys. Uh, and so I guess I have to get used to it. But I wanted to tell you guys, um, I noticed that I was running into um, over overage on it and I already have yesterday's shows ready so I'm going to upload it on on uh, my stream you can get it through iTunes through TuneIn um, and SoundCloud and um, there's this great guy out of Idaho who I can't wait to go and get coffee with who kind of renders the files for me um, so they sound better when sometimes the sound is off pitch or whatever um, and they're downloadable too so you know now I want you guys to understand that what is happening now had been planned for a while and we, in essence, believe it or not, are the last frontier. And President Trump made that clear. This is the last chance to save this nation. The idea that that crazy man George Washington had, that crazy man that initiated that first Brexit, right? We did the first Brexit out of Britain, right? And we left from underneath the skirts of the kings and the queens and said, nope, we're going to be shareholders. So what is going on? Well, I think it's important for you to listen to Pompeo because now we get into Colombia. Colombia that has taken over a million refugees from Venezuela. So Foreign Minister Trujillo and Trujillo, right, um, delivered a statement uh 
today with Pompeo, and I want you to listen to it because Pompeo has been very, very, very busy. Keeping in mind that there is war breaking out, like I told you eons ago, was going to be the Eastern Med. The United States has reinforced itself to ensure to have that, I would say, wall between it coming into Western civilization and us having to come in and deal with it. We're already there. We've preemptively seen this, just like we've preemptively seen this coup, just like we they are walking straight into the trap. I want all of you to just don't even pay attention. I mean, you don't even have to listen to me. You have to listen to yourself, and it's so hard these days for all of us to not be coaxed into falling into these pitfalls of, well, everybody's saying it, so it's got to be true. Whatever happened to if everyone's yelling at one person, right, and they're all insane and foaming at the mouth, maybe that one person is speaking some truth because it's always the man that speaks truth whose tongue you rip out, never the one that pushes falsities. Now, today's show, I just want us to focus on being able to discern facts from fiction. And I want to, like I demonstrated with Pompeo and what he did in Greece, with, um, you know, with Kardashian being, Kim Kardashian being at the Armenian genocide site. Like there are so many subtle things so that you can see it and you can't because no one is telling you about it. Nobody talked about his speech in Greece. Nowhere. Not even Fox did. Like that was the most important bare bones discussion on the last frontier that our secretary of state had and nobody talked about it. No one talked about, well, they did today on how Durham has, has expanded his scope. I told you about that months ago because Durham was appointed under sleepy Jeff Sessions, right? Actually, Matt Whitaker, right? Because he took over. So <laughs> that's why they hated Matt Whitaker, didn't they? But see, that's what you need. A football player, you know, a guy that's big and hard on the outside and soft and cuddly on the inside, right? That's exactly who Matt Whitaker is. And the soft and cuddly part is that he loves America. And that's one thing that people underestimate many, many times. And, you know, I've been highly critical of William Barr because he had a hand in all the garbage that was put down as a foundation from Bush 41, who was a three-term president. Let's remember that. Reagan was quickly silenced. Yeah, he talked a great game because that's all they let him do. But who made the decision? It was Bush 41. Who had ordered William Barr on the MENA stuff? It was Bush 41. Who had ordered William Barr to privatize prisons so that Hillary Clinton can come in and fill them up with slaves, slave labor? Bush 41. Bill Barr was there. You know, Bill Barr could have been just like me and many other people. Well, I wouldn't have executed things like done things, but that have been, you know, bystanders and watched and just looked and every now and then would throw their sharp, sharp tongue. I mean, Owen knows how many times I clapped back and said, nope, not. I've put my foot down and said, nope, because I had the ability to say no, because it wasn't in scope. Durham. What did I say about Durham? I said, if he finds other crimes, that goes on expansion. Remember when we talked about this, 
That is what Mueller did. He went in there looking for Russia collusion, and then because of the Russia collusion, there might have been obstruction, but he didn't find anything. Instead, they found crappy, baseless, and some baseful that all of us could possibly be guilty of, tax, this, that. on He didn't get anyone on anything Russian. He didn't get anyone on anything Ukrainian. He got everyone and everything on stuff that didn't matter. And George Papadopoulos was the one that paid for it sincerely with a very high coin when he was framed. And the first thing I said is his rights were violated because he came off a transatlantic flight, which you, by the way, get lots of nice free wines, landed, and with no lawyer, no sleep, and maybe even had a couple bottles of wine, was being interrogated and hotboxed to admit to something he didn't. And because he wasn't on top of his game after, what, 11-hour flight and possibly maybe some alcohol on the flight, I'm just saying, like, we all drink that free wine, you know, on transatlantic flights. I mean, I did, even when I was underage, and I admit it now. I mean, there's a statute of limitations, right? But, you know, I remember when I was flying out to Kuwait first time, I had to switch, like, so many planes. I drank wine once. This is a full admittance, like, you know, I drank so many little bottles of wine once that I was so out, like I fell asleep, that I fell asleep on my... I, first of all, I went into the wrong gate because in Belgium, the flights have like A, B, C, and the doors are like adjacent. So it's like you have to go into... I was ushered into the wrong one, got on there, started knocking him back. And instead of ending up in... <laughs> Away. I was in Mongolia. I slept through the whole thing going out all the way to Singapore where they changed flights to go to Mongolia. I fell asleep and I remember thinking there was flatlands and some mountains in the background. Guys, this is like legit the most funniest thing and it's it gets told um, in certain circles without mentioning names. I own up to it. I saw people pulling out fur coats and boots, and I was like, oh, yeah, they prepped me for that. They said it could be cold at night. (laughs) Little did I know I was not even in the country I was supposed to be in. I had a stellar hangover. You know, I was like 17, barely 18. Actually, I was going to be 18, you know, close, close to be 18. Still not a legal age in the U.S. for drinking, but in the air, you know, whatever. But I ended up, uh, you know, in another place when I shouldn't have been there. And I'm fine admitting it. I mean, I own up to my mistakes. I was a kid. We're all kids. Up until the age of 30, we're kids. We don't even know what we want to do. And that's because of the ease of technology and the fact that they spoon feed us of how we should feel. So owning up to our mistakes as a nation, I mean, we have to acknowledge that we as a nation made many mistakes. We were fine with slavery, but that was because we were babies when it came to being social creatures, right? We evolve. We grow out of that. We learn that that's not okay. You know, 100 years ago, hanging someone in the square was kind of not acceptable. 200, totally acceptable. Bring the popcorn and the lawn chairs, start a bonfire and bring the marshmallows, right? When a guy was being disemboweled for stealing an orange and they were like hooking a, you know, a metal piece onto his intestine and pulling it out and this guy's being tortured. People were clapping and eating popcorn. How is that okay? You can't even fathom someone putting a cherry bomb on a cat, which isn't a human being that probably doesn't have kids crying around him, that probably doesn't have a wife waiting at home for him, right? And you still can't fathom that because we, we appreciate life. We have grown so much as human beings, as people, As people, as part of a society, the evil can't stand that. And so they've conditioned us 
to start for the past hundred years using technology to attack us. They have tried to make us feel more compassionate and then use that compassion against us. I want you to pay attention to exactly what Pompeo says here uh, during uh, this press conference with um, the foreign minister of Colombia. It's um, very interesting. And again, we're seeing another face of Pompeo. Take a listen. Uh, thank you all for being with us this morning. It's my great honor to welcome my friend, uh, Foreign Minister Trujillo, back to Washington uh, for the U.S.-Columbia High-Level Dialogue. It's the uh, fourth meeting that you and I have had this year. Uh, this regular dialogue shows that the United States values our friendship with Colombia, a relationship rooted in a shared set of values, a commitment to democracy, the rule of law, and fundamental human rights. President Duque's administration deserves great credit for this close partnership. Just two decades ago, Colombia was gripped by violence and corruption. No more. We've been proud to support your efforts to reclaim and rebuild your nation. Mr. Foreign Minister, we thank you for your great partnership. Today, our teams will talk about uh, a number of topics, and we will build on those solid foundations for the good of your country, the United States, and indeed uh, the broader region. We'll certainly address narcotics. The United States has a significant stake in the outcome of Colombia's crackdown on the production of and trafficking of narcotics. That's why we've joined President Duque in setting an ambitious goal to reduce coca cultivation and cocaine by half by the end of 2023. We've seen signs of progress. We just had the chance to chat about that. Last year, coca cultivation decreased for the first time since 2012. More than 86,000 hectares of coca were eradicated 20% more than we had set as our joint goal. Much more work needs to be done. Today we'll discuss how to expand our counter-narcotics efforts to achieve and sustain the ambitious five-year goal that we set. We'll also address Colombia's valiant humanitarian efforts to support the now 1.6 million people who have fled Venezuela and come to Colombia. To date, the United States has provided more than $250 million to aid Colombia in its response to the Venezuelan crisis, and our support is ongoing and continuing. Uh, just this past month at the UN General Assembly, I announced nearly $119 million in new funding to support relief efforts throughout the region. And since 2018, we have twice deployed the U.S. Navy ship Comfort on medical missions to the region, stopping each time in Colombia. As, uh, as I've shared with the Foreign Minister today, we stand ready to do even more to support Colombia's heroic efforts to save lives and stabilize the region. And then finally, we'll talk about an important topic, how we strengthen our economic ties between the two countries. Uh, there's real good progress already underway. Colombia's per capita GDP has doubled since 2000, and poverty has declined from 1 in 5 to 1 in 25. That's been a lot of hard work by Colombia and its people, but the United States has helped as well. We're Colombia's largest trade and investment partner, and our trade supports hundreds of thousands of jobs in each of our two countries. Uh, I know we can do more, and I look forward to, to the continued discussions throughout the day amongst our teams to deliver on this commitment. When I, when I last visited Latin America in April, I explained the Trump administration's ultimate goal in the region which is to cement a future of democracy, peace, and prosperity. As I said then, it's not an impossible dream, nor it is a foregone conclusion. We will all have to work on this together. Colombia 
is proof. Is proof that the dream is indeed possible and that hard work pays off. And today that work continues. For Minister Chahio, thank you uh, and your delegation for being here. I invite you now to make a statement. Thank you very much, Mr. Secretary. Good morning, everyone. As Colombia's Minister of Foreign Affairs, it is an honor for, to meet you all today as we open the eighth meeting of the U.S.-Colombia High-Level Dialogue. On behalf of the entire Colombian delegation, thank you, Secretary Pompeo, for the warm welcome and your hospitality here at the Department of State. Today, I am joined by a delegation of Colombian government officials who will help lead the three areas of our high-level dialogue with the United States, security, economic prosperity, and democratic governance. Dating back to its beginnings in 2010, the high-level mechanism has sought to strengthen the U.S.-Colombia strategic partnership and diversify our bilateral agenda, working together toward our mutual prosperity. Since then, Mr. Secretary, multiple projects have come to fruition and benefited both Americans and Colombians. Our accomplishments through the high-level dialogue include U.S. support for the Colombia's admission to the OECD, improved cooperation in humanitarian demining, Colombia gaining access to the Global Entry Program and increased educational exchanges, just to name a few. We are committed to continuing down this path and setting out measurable high-impact impact commitments. Ahead of this year's session, I'd like to briefly address three key issues that are at the top of our agenda and which demonstrate the efficacy of the high-level dialogue, the Venezuelan crisis, achieving prosperity and equality, and the fight against drugs. The Venezuelan crisis. We will continue to work through all political and diplomatic means, jointly with the countries of the Lima Group, jointly with the United States, jointly with the Organization of American States and other democracies across the world, to create a condition that will lead to positive change in Venezuela. We will implement required sanctions to keep isolating the Maduro regime. Colombia is deeply grateful for the continued U.S. support to assist more than 1.4 million Venezuelans migrants in Colombia. So he continues on. Guys, oh my gosh, my headphones just fixed. This is so awesome. So I'm not even going to play commercials uh, to at least give us that extra five minutes. Um, here's the thing. Colombia, again, I tell you, look at a map sometimes when you when you look at these countries, is the last frontier from anything in South America being able to land travel to North America. Okay? It is the last frontier. They're literally holding back all the other corruption that may be there. Now, yes, for, for decades now, they've been trying to uh, remove what one would say corruption. But they're making way too much money on cocaine to stop. And, you know, the coca plant also has medicinal qualities as well. And they've had uh, very big problems within their own nation with uh, people trying to uh, weaponize this uh, commodity, as you would say, kind of like the poppy fields in Afghanistan. Uh, those have been weaponized by the pharmaceutical companies. Let's all be honest. That's why we're there. They are the last frontier that one would say. But in 2016, President Santos... He was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, 
they began to start looking at reparation for victims of conflict. Very snowflakey, but worked to sway people that were on the guerrilla type side of things, let's say. So they have started to make the right moves, but keep in mind, they are still compromised. Now, when you want to be able to control your borders, you want to be able to control the ports of entry. And the majority of all, and I'm telling you this, of almost all terrorist cells coming in from West Africa, coming in from the Middle East, coming in from the Horn of Africa, fly into nations that we do not have transparency with. And that would be Venezuela. This is where the West Africans get fake Venezuelan passports for money. They come in through Brazil, Peru, Ecuador, because these are countries that we yet have not established good footing because of what the previous administrations in our nations have done to those nations. Remember, Venezuela used to be ruled by a guy we placed there before Maduro. And in the end, he said he wishes that they would all die because he was coaxed with money and he didn't see the greater thing and that, you know, the Clintons gave him cancer. He says it. So I just want you guys to understand how important this is. We just covered the last frontier of the Middle East entering the Western civilization, which is the Balkans, because the only way that they will be able to penetrate is through the Balkans, because that is where Turkey has an opening when we're talking to come land-wise, land-wise, not water-wise. Water, we're covered, land-wise. And now again, land-wise, we are locking up the entry through nations that we do not have agreements with, like, you know, passport screening, et cetera. See, Canada, no matter how much Trudeau wants to topple us, uh, because they believe that she was going to win, they believe that they would maintain control, we have full access to their things. And unfortunately, Canada was very highly dependent on our skills, on our technology to implement a shadow system or a ghost system to flank it. That way they can kind of maneuver away from us, maneuver away from our systems, kind of like, you know, the fake passport that Owen used to go to the Ukraine, you know, kind of thing. So we already have that. Unfortunately, though, we don't have such agreements with countries like Argentina or, or Brazil yet. Right? Yet. Yet. So what we're doing now is creating this strong deal with Colombia to say, if you can reduce your coca production by 2023, we will help you increase your trade somewhere else. And I know this is very, uh, very on par with what the European did, Union did to coax European nations. Like I told you, they told my family, you need to get rid of all your olive trees and your almond trees and we'll give you money to make strawberries because Greece is going to be producing strawberries. And we said, uh, no, th- th- this tree has been alive for a thousand years. I'm not cutting it down. This has been something that we've been benefiting from. We're not making tons of money from it. I guess, you know, when we, when we get olives off our trees and then we take them to the factory to press our oil, guys, which is the best ever, you know, we keep a couple tons, you know, distributed through the family. Uh, everybody in my family has like this, uh, you know, metal tin somewhere in a closet, kind of like how you have a water, water here or your boiler and it's filled with our olive oil and that'll last for the whole year, right? Uh, it's massive. 
Okay. Don't think it's, it's like three times the size of a, of, of your boiler. But, um, and that is exactly what we're telling them, but without the, the, the statement of, Hey, you're going to do this. It's like, we will help you do what you want to do to help you reduce it. And we can trade with you. Here's what the United States has been trading with these countries. And we are dependent on this. Maybe you want to do avocados and kind of, I know Mexico's got the, you know, done on that. And Chile's got, you know, the front on, what is it? Those, um, grape tomatoes, right? And, but maybe you can do this and compete. And, uh, you know, we'd be more than happy to ensure that we offer you that support through trade. We're not going to give you free money, but we'll give you trade. And if you need an investment on infrastructure, we'll sign off on a bond for that. We're great. We just need to make sure that we can't let people take advantage of highly important things that can manipulate the economy and the people. So uh, on a foreign side today, I've been a little bit off my game only because I couldn't hear myself, which I have to get used to because at some point I won't hear anything. But um I, I wanted to put that through to you because there's going to be so much coming in, so much conflicting information. I mean, even Lindsey Graham made absolutely no sense today. I mean, I listened to him on Fox this morning and I was like, what the? What? He said this yesterday. Now he's saying this today. I mean, he already knows that he's ex-senator, right? He already knows that he's an ex-senator. So what is he going to do about it, right? He's just going to say whatever. What we need to understand is that uh, this is how it goes. Now, I'm not going to be surprised that our president is probably going to make a statement, you know, that, hey, Turkey's a NATO member. They've just invaded Syria. What are you going to do about it? You know, if that happens, I'm telling you, I told you that Turkey was our problem. I've told you that we're going to have to do something and we're going to be pushing in. Now, I can expect that the president will make such a, such an announcement. You watch. Because I've told you, Turkey is the second largest military force within NATO. And what we need to do is gut them and remove them from NATO because they are protected and then people take sides. So now it's on the EU. Now it's on where the United States, which is the strongest military force, says, Turkey just invaded Syria. What are you going to do about it? They're in NATO. What are you going to do about it? Because we're not accepting this. So here's one member of NATO saying no. Now let's watch all the other clowns line up and they will show you who their true face is because they're out there saying, oh, it's all your fault. You pulled out. No, it's your fault because you have these clowns within NATO, even though they were buying missiles that would bring down the planes that we've invested billions of tax dollar money into it. This is what's going to happen. I'm telling you that I told you that a while back. I'm reinforcing it. Could happen today. Could happen. Tomorrow. I'm pretty sure it it's going to happen today because Turkey, they're Ottomans. They are Ottomans. This is how they operate. History will not lie to you. I've told you corrupt people, evil people are creatures of comfort and they continue on the same path. This is why Pompeo didn't tell anyone where he was going. He was just going. He didn't tell anyone what he was doing. He was just doing. The president knew nobody else did. And today, this Colombian mutual defense agreement, mutual trade agreement, mutual discussions on how we're going to fix this situation all comes down to the fact 
that they will start foaming out the mouth and we are going to see tons of them trying to pour in through the border. And I've said this before because many nations do this. They weaponize migration. They weaponize immigration, illegal immigration. Turkey does that. They've got tons of migrants that they are ready to release and kick out of their borders. And guess what? We have just reinforced those borders that they can release them on to cause a collapse in infrastructure as payback. But I told you, we're not going to be leading this war. It's going to be Russia. And Russia is going to come down strong and hard, and they will have our support 100%. And here's the problem. How do you support Russia in eliminating a volatile leader, a nation filled with leaders, leaders that are backed by nefarious tactics? You let them pull their own pants down and us pulling out our last 50 dudes down there and pulling out our private contractors weeks ago was just so we can let them pull their pants down. Because immediately when we say, all right, you know what? This is your region. We shouldn't be a war. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. But hey, I'm a spectator. And if I don't like it, I'm going to make sure you pay the price for it because you're in my town, which is my planet, which is humanity in general. And I'm going to have to say something. I can opine and criticize you. And with my criticism, I will take you down. So now... All we have to do is sit back and wait and watch the president remove Turkey from NATO, not with his own hands, but by their own hands, by pulling their own pants down. And Ilhan Omar, I hope when she lands within the United States that she is arrested because what she's been doing, guys, my article is done. It's um, been being edited uh, while I've been doing my show. So obviously I'm going to have to go look over it again, but you know, it is going to be coming down. Remember, General Flynn worked within Turkey. He knows exactly what's going on. My general, our general, that is taken away, will be able to quash so many administrations. It's ridiculous. So many. They tried everything and failed. They tried everything. They lied under oath and failed. Again, look at all this. This is the storm. This is where everything, you know, how they say, oh, it comes in threes, the perfect storm to get sick. You know, you've heard this is the perfect storm to take them down. We've got foreign relations, uh, you know, on on high alert. We're diffusing Iran. No one likes it. And the last frontier is Turkey. That is like their crutch to that old regime. And that is who they can rely on because they're in NATO. The minute we disable that, everything is done. The plan that they had, the plan that they bragged about decades ago is gone. And people are finally, the poor Turkish people sitting there don't know any better. You think the guy that owns a shop that's making ice cream on an ice tablet knows what Erdogan's ultimate plan is? He doesn't care as long as he has food to eat because he's distracted. They're not shareholders in their country. You and I are shareholders and we care. That's the difference between how people respond. I feel very bad for all the people that are going to get caught in the middle. I feel very bad for everything that is to come. But we have done it in such a way to minimize the casualties. What the president did pulling out was exceptional. 
I said he should have done it a long time ago, didn't I? The minute they started, you know, kicking up their heels and you're no, no country's going to tell me what to buy, you know, and they wanted to ask 400s. I would have been a lot more vicious. And, you know, a lot of people were like, well, you know, Erdogan accepted the invitation to come. Yeah. Let's see if he makes it to that trip. Let's see if he actually makes it to the White House, because now we're going to see who the real enemy of people are, of the people are not just of American people, of people, of humankind. It is all going to come to the point where you're sitting at Germany. You're saying that it's OK that they're going to commit another, you know, genocide, you know, hey, hey. Genocide, Kim Kardashian, pay attention to the little things. This is all going down today. We're going to have that announcement from the president. You watch. And now, aside from the foreign issues that we have, the foreign exposés that we're having globally, and how stealthy, you know, Pompeo said he loves his Greek Americans. He fortified the West for us. He fortified the South for us, the North is already compromised because we have everything. So now we go into the national where we have them running rampant. We have the, they don't know which way is forward and which is back. They are just stagnant and uh, literally verbal diarrhea saying nothing. If you remember correctly, it was in November. It was in December. I constantly said Rosenstein, Kelly, Pence. And many more were sitting in on this meeting with the 25th Amendment. See, uh, I saw the delay in putting a Trump-Pence sign. We see that he's going forward because it's better to have a diffused, I would say, person rather than anything else coming forward. So, you know, now it's all coming to fruition with that amazing FOIA request where things have come through in shining light on the fact that Mueller perjured himself the fact that rod rosenstein was working in the background was working in the background against the president of the united states admitted about the wire thought that john kelly pence and all of them had his back about it and the leaking wow this is a storm so we've got that going on now your special counsel is a liar and suddenly forgets things right so he's sick can he really sit Stick a guy that has dementia suddenly after this failed coup into jail. Yes, you can. And you can make sure that all of those that he's poisoned will also be taken out of it. Now, here's an email between uh, Rod and Sarah Flores. Okay, I'm going to read you this one little chain. Okay, I'm, I, okay, this is from Rod Rosenstein said to, she sent, uh, uh, a little message to him and, uh, said, I understand you directly responded to the reporter. He said, okay, I appreciate your support. I'm not accustomed to having a 24 seven press spokesperson. She sent him a link to the New York Times story. Thanks. This was to be, this was supposed to be a low profile job. It'll be in the print edition tomorrow. Think what article dropped on May 22nd, May 22nd, 2017. Think of what article dropped on May 22nd, 2017. I just want you guys to think about it 
because this is the most important thing that you can um, identify as a big problem. What is the article that the New York Times dropped at that time? That's what you have to think about. What did they drop? What was the article that ran? That's all you have to look at. That is all you need to see because this is where you see just how widespread this disease of corruption is. The colonoscopy, as I call it, of the deep state is here. It's here and it is not going anywhere. Anywhere. It is going to take down not only the key actors, but those that they have trained to replace them. Unfortunately, they're not that smart. They're not smart. (laughs) I mean, here we are. We already got Europe, Turkey, and the Middle East exactly where we want them. Exactly where we want them. Because we will make the European remove Turkey because them saying that they're buying missile systems to shoot down our own planes wasn't good enough. Them saying, oh, you love Russia. Well, Russia's the only one that is not playing the corrupt game for a global gain. They may be dirty and corrupt and, and you know, sleight of hand, but it's always Russia first. See, they, they're smart, kind of like China. China's like, <laughs> smart, they're smart. We're dumb because we're forfeiting everything in the name of this global thing. Guys. What we are doing right now is taking away their cards. You know, if someone says, hey, you know, um, uh, you know, brings out something about me or, uh, oh, my gosh, you, you know, they want to use the fact that I have like white hair. I've had white hair since I was 19. Swear to God, I swear to God, I was sitting in a pool in 116 heat eating some, you know, curried stew thing. Cause that's, that's, that's all that really tasted good. And I could hear my hair growing white. So someone wants to use that against me, like to make me feel bad. So instead I take the power away and they say, I'm here with my white crown. What's up now? They have no weapons. This is how Trump plays his game. He steps up and he's like, yo, this is it. Oh, my mistakes. Look at them. They're all scars. I'm good. Are you? Because I'm totally good. Here is where he steps up the game and he's like, yeah, you know what? You don't listen to me because the mainstream media tells you what to think of me. Not even my people are agreeable on this. They're all teeter-totter. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what's right for America. We don't need to be spending money in that region. That's far, far away. We don't care. Mind your business. Hey, Russia, you've got a mutual defense agreement. Do it. Hey, Turkey, you're supporting Iran. Keep doing your thing, man. I'm going to let you do yours. Kurds, I love you, but I can't help you because no one's giving me money to do this. And nobody believes that you are working for us. So allow us to let them do their thing. Russia already warned Turkey. Turkey kind of believed what the mainstream media said and what skewed intel said, right? Skewed intel. Here we go. This is where the party happens. This is how it is. Turkey is not only not our friend, but they're in NATO. You have your biggest enemy with the second largest army of NATO breathing down your neck, fighting you every step of the way. Can we mention Khashoggi? Can we mention the the pastor? 
Can we mention Flynn? Can we mention uranium? Can we mention, 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 mention? There's so much we can mention. And not only that, can we mention Ilhan Omar? So here's where we get to the nitty, nitty gritty. Let me tell you something about Ilhan Omar. And this is why when I first ran into Laura Loomer, I'm going to tell you what I told her uh, before we became friends. And I said, I am, you know, think of me as maybe someone that time travels. It would be just so exciting uh, to strike up parlay with you. I totally want to be your friend, kind of like kids do, you know totally want to be your friend because you are going to change the course of history because you are going to point things out that nobody else wants to point out. Ilhan Abdullahi Omar, I told you, conned U.S. Immigration and Customs and used that name, fake name. She also, you know, stated a birth date, not her real birth date. Going to point something out. Very important. She has traveled to various nations this past, these past two weeks. Her final stop was in Morocco where she's at today. Now one thing that's weird is that we had a Miss Elmi, a Miss Elmi, that was a Somali woman promoting Somali woman rights back in the 80s and 90s. In my article, I have a picture of Miss Elmi hanging out with Madeline Albright. I guess I do. Um, I also have an email from Hillary Clinton. Take a listen. This is from 2012. Heard Somalia's new PM, Abdi Farah Shiron Saeed, um, like Nur said, Saeed, uh, is married to, uh, Asha Elmi. That's from Johnny. And, um, no, Hillary sent that to Johnny. And Johnny said, Madam Secretary, I think it's the same woman, but I'm not sure. She, there's a redacted portion. But I'm not sure. I've been trying to find out for certain, but I should be able to give a definitive answer by Monday. Johnny. Johnny Carson was doing this. So we know Miss Elmi. Wait, what is it? Ilhan Nur Said Elmi, right? Oh, my gosh. So think about it this way. Ilhan Omar, corrupt people hide in plain sight and they do things It'd be like why are you so dumb it's like that dumb person in a movie where they know the murderer is on the other side and they're like let me check and open the door you're like why open the door where here is where why did you do this because my eyes just dropped that so why would she sign her divorce decree in Ugadugu, Kadiogo province in Burkina Faso huh why would she do that on her birthday and it's like, why would you do that? Now, here's the thing. Like I said, I, I, I look at everything. She is in a rush to, mar- to divorce a man that may or may not be held to spousal confidentiality. I mean, I mean this way. He could spill the beans on Ilhan. She got him fired. Remember, she got him fired from working at the city council in Minnesota. If I was him, I'd file a complaint and find and petition and FOIA request emails and calls that Ilhan Omar had with his boss. Now, she made him a house husband, so he's dependent on her financially. He hasn't, you know, he doesn't have two pennies to rub together. She's in total control. And she supposedly left him for, for some dork who was married to a pensioner. So you believe this dork is really married to someone who's on Medicare and he's like under 40? Come on, guys. 
Handler, hello, stories. Let's get it on. I pulled up that there's cases in New Jersey, New Jersey, under her handler slash boyfriend slash PR person slash staffer that she's supposedly sleeping with that nobody can unseal even though it's a civil thing. Now, her own people said that Mr. Ilhan is going to spill the beans. Well, they responded with dark rumors regarding Ahmed Hersey. It wouldn't be in his best interest. Bet you he stays quiet. And that's because of what hold they have on him back home in Somalia. Now, I want people to know that spousal privilege doesn't end when the marriage is over. Okay? It actually means that your ex-wife or your ex-husband can't, without consent from you, right, disclose any information that you may have confided in them while you were married. That means if Hersey found out about her crimes during the marriage because she admitted to them, not found out by himself, unless Omar gives him permission, he can't talk about it. Now, if Hersey knew Ilhan Omar married her brother Elmi while they had kids but were not technically married, well, he can sing like a canary. Let's just put it that way, okay? So she signed a divorce paperwork, filed in Burkina Faso. I just want to know, like, is no apostille required to make it official? Because I know whatever document I've signed overseas to be filed in a court in the United States or for any official purpose had to be notarized. I didn't see any notary on this, let's just say. Now, here's the fun facts of the countries that Omar has been visiting. So we've got Kenya on the Somali border, home of the Muslim Youth Center, a.k.a. Al-Shabaab. Kenya is actually Christian dominant nation and alleged home of Barack Hussein Obama, not his home. Let's make that clear. Tribal inflammation exasperated by mad, by the radical Muslim ideology. It's a nation struggling with systemic political corruption and has many fetal schools and colleges that are funded directly, directly by the Turkish government who promote Muslim youth. Problems with radical Islamic terror activity, home to one of our African UAV bases, classified base, Operation Creek Sand. So it's a Muslim Brotherhood nation uh, because the Muslim Brotherhood is funding these schools. Turkey and Qatar have dumped tons of investments in their infrastructure. Next country she visited, South Sudan. Obama failed to implement the Child Soldiers Prevention Act to withhold money from them because they recruit kids to be soldiers. He didn't do it. He put the blind eye to that. Obama helped create division by recognizing and promoting the slaughter of the children in Sudan. He actually recognized South Sudan as a legitimate country after the slaughter, right? And South Sudan is a Muslim-dominant nation. Has also, again, many Fado schools and colleges that are funded by Turkey who promote Muslim youth. They have problems with radical Islamic terrorist activity. And here's the kicker. Obama's mommy, Stanley Ann Dunham Sotero, worked for the CIA there. And, again, it's home to one of our African UAV bases, unmanned air vehicles, so drone bases, and part of what we call Operation Creeksand. It's mother Muslim Brotherhood Nation, Turkey and Qatar, dumping tons of cash. Next up, Uganda. Full Christian majority nation. They actually refused Obama to intervene in their nation's law when he was telling them that they need an anti-LGBTQ law struck down. He's like, don't tell me how to run my nation. 
after that meeting with Obama, suddenly the nation started struggling with overwhelming, aggressive, extremist, Muslim ideology that was being introduced. They have one Fado school ushered by Obama into Uganda, funded again by Turkey, who promote Muslim youth. They have problems with external terrorist activity. Obama's mom ran the USA desk for Uganda. And it's home again to one of our African UAV classified bases under Operation Creek Sand. And Obama for America has a presence via Obama for Africa in incentive. Muslim Brotherhood Nation, Turkey and Qatar money. Can you guys see a pattern? I'm going to keep going. Ethiopia, very Christian nation, right? Massive investments from Jeffrey Epstein Foundation for AI research for over 15 years. Massive research and development, including MIT via Epstein Foundation. Tribal tensions. They refuse to allow Obama to intervene in their nation laws and Somalia's aggression. Incredible investments in Ethiopia by Turkey and Qatar lately. Problem with external terrorist activity, home again to one of our uh, African UAV bases, Operation Creek Sand, Muslim Brotherhood, tons of money from Turkey and Qatar. Then let me read a quote. This deployment will provide for intelligence collection and will also facilitate intelligence sharing with French forces conducting operations in Mali. And with other partners in the region, as part of status forces agreement signed that previous January 2013. That was an excerpt from a letter from former Barack Hussein Obama to Congress. This is in regard to Niger. Niger's borders have been redrawn many times since 1900. Mali has expanded. Upper Volta was dissolved and Burkina Faso manifested. Obama helped orchestrate the coup in Niger in 2012. Obama deployed U.S. troops to Niger that they wanted to charge Trump with when Obama put them there. Clinton Foundation, investments in yellow cake uranium areas flanking the Niger River, Oprah investment, tribal uh, tensions, you know, that they inflame to use. Obama for Africa investments has many FIDO schools and colleges funded again by Turkey that promotes Muslim youth. Obama's mom, you know, Ms. Dunham Satoro worked for Niger post Burkina Faso creation for the State Department, USA desk operative. And insane direct investments in Niger by Turkey and Qatar. Again, another one of our UAV bases that are classified under Operation Creek Sand. Then we have Ilhan Omar in Burkina Faso. Now this is the most weirdest one. So the Washington Post had reported that Islamic militants have been singling out Christians for execution in a remarkably honest expose of the situation. The Post writer, Danielle Paquette, noted that jihadist death squads have been checking people's necks for Christian symbols, killing anyone wearing a cross, crucifix, or anything else that was Christian. Now, after this massacre, the jihadists told all the villagers, if they don't convert to Islam, they will be killed. Well, this is where Ilhan Omar was. This is where she held a speech to. And guess who? Obama's mommy, along with John Brennan and Peter Strzok's daddy, Peter Strzok Sr., were the ones that helped dissolve the nation of Upper Volta, which is now Burkina Faso, you know, obviously in a smaller scale. The Obama administration heavily invested in Burkina Faso. And again, our UAV base in Africa, Operation Creek Sand, 
also there. Now, sources say that Ilhan Omar met with Turkish officials, agriculture and natural resources, and a sheikh representing Qatar for dinner at an undisclosed location. Apparently, she had a closed-door meeting with high-level intelligence-linked Turkish official. The source says it was private, like inferring intimacy rather than information sharing because it was done in her hotel room. I just want you guys to know that the Clinton Foundation has a massive interest in their gold mines because they are riddled with gold. So does Turkey. Now, then she went to, she also went to Djibouti. She went to Djibouti before she went to uh, Burkina Faso. Djibouti is a neighboring nation to Omar Somalia, right? Her brothers of her tribe land, Puntland. Now, during her visit, she met with Hayada Sirdunka Puntland, which is the Puntland Intelligence Agency and Turkish Intelligence Agency. And she spoke to them. And I quote, um, Omar was wined and dined by the prominent families in Djibouti and assured them that she would use her position in Congress to spread the message of Allah as intended to. Her staff are not allowed, except for her handler, to be present, that means the boyfriend guy, to be present during singular meetings with high-ranking officials of Djibouti. She is horrific, horrific. Now she went to Morocco. Morocco. Pleasure, business, or both. That is actually the birthplace of Barack Hussein Obama. In a press conference December 7, 2010, President Barack Hussein Obama admitted that he was in fact born in Morocco. Here is the, um, the, the, um, here is where we need to remember things. Remember, Hillary Clinton even said once in an interview when she slipped, people forget. People forget. People forget. People forget that Ilhan Omar was paraded around Morocco when she said that Netanyahu is an obstacle to peace in the Middle East. Peace for Ilhan Omar in the Middle East is doing what? Eradicating, eradicating every single other religion. And that starts with the Jews. They hate the Jews. She hates the Jews. She hates them. So, and that means all of them. All of them. So what is the common factor here? What is the common factor? Every single country she's visited, according to AFRICOM, is where we have these unmanned air vehicles, our UAVs, our drone bases in Africa that are very high in security. I want to know, has she taken a trip to those bases while she's hanging out with Qatar and Turkey? And why won't her office tell us who's funding this trip, who's paying for this trip, who is doing this trip for her, considering that she holds a clearance due to being on the Foreign Relations Committee? She has access to a lot of information, coupled with the fact that she's being courted, wine, dined, and held so many off-the-record meetings with foreign intelligence today, yesterday, last week, and even before she entered Congress with presidents of nations like Turkey, like Iran, with the foreign minister of, of Turkey texting her congratulations. This is a matter of national security. See, the storm is here, and each and every one of them are propping up. But now we can see. See, before they used to do this. They used to be out in the open telling you these things, but we ignored it because we were congested. We were tired. We were like the computer that has 20 million tabs open. At some point, you're going to be like, hanging right your screen's going to be hanging that's exactly where people are at and we are now awake and aware now stay tuned for the president to call him out and say what's going on why is this nato member invading who's going to do something i'll see you all tomorrow same time same place hopefully with no technical difficulties and i hope i survive this snowstorm that's coming god bless from all of us here at red state i'll see you tomorrow Same time, same place, only on Red State.